Hey, DJ Flook here from Stadium Scenes Main Event. Networking has become more important than ever, so why are you still carrying around paper business cards that end up lost or in the trash? Our friends at Link have created a solution to that problem by getting your contact info directly into that person's phone with a simple tap from your plastic business card, a bracelet, or even an Apple Watch band. When it's time to update your contact info, make the change in their easy-to-use networking app. For listeners of Stadium Scenes Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code StadiumScene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com. That's L I N Q A P P.com. There's a lot of people in the sports world nowadays athletes, media personalities, bloggers, podcasters, video producers, influencers all with amazing stories to share about how they got to where they are today and where they're going tomorrow. I'm DJ Fluke, and along with my partners, Kate Thompson. I'm sorry, I didn't go to a college that has football teams, so sometimes I space out. And Jillian Fisher. Hey! Oh my gosh, I alerted my pug and he's like, oh no, don't bark, please don't bark. We're here to share those stories in something we like to call StadiumScene.tv's main event. Hey, before we get started, this episode was also recorded as a video, which is available on YouTube via the description of this podcast episode. Otherwise, enjoy the show. All right, welcome. It's another back-to-back interview week. Uh, we probably be back on the 10 minutes with uh, schedule next week, but I hope you enjoyed our, our episode with Chris Myers. We clearly enjoyed making it. Kate plugged your laptop in this week, so we're good there. We can hear her. Her microphone works. I guess just we're... had a lot of technical difficulties yeah, the past guess... several episodes, okay? Yeah, I, I guess we're ready to get going. Um, you know, unless unless your, uh, your boyfriend comes in and unplugs the, the modem or the router or something, I think we should be good. No, he's out playing disc golf because it's finally over like 30 degrees here in Chicago and the snow's melting. That happens? I thought that's like July. No, it's happened. We got like 70 something days of snow nonstop to the point we have to start shoveling off my balcony because I don't trust it. And it was up to the railing. But now it's like all gone, except for those huge piles where we shoved all the snow. <laughs> well, on my end, that's not happening. Socially distant spring training has begun here and it's supposed to be 87 on Sunday. So maybe I'll get in the pool. No, I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> I just said that just out of spite. So anyway, we have a guest here, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Our guest is an author, the author of the book, Lady Fleets. I'm saying that right? Yes. I had to, I had to practice that like 10 times because I, I'm like, that it is not the easiest thing to say. No. It definitely read easier in my brain. And I already went with it by the time I said it out loud. I was like, I'm not changing it now. We're going with it. I'm so sorry to everyone else. <laughs> That's all right. So please welcome Emily Williams. Emily, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't think that of that as a, a dig at the book more of a me with a no. pronunciation problem and a reading problem so well we know you can't read I so know. you're doing really good at dr seuss books and all the other children's books you get 
I, I do. I uh, Normally I have children's books sitting on my desk here, but I don't for some reason today. One day you'll be able to read How to Not Be a Dick that I sent you a while back. <laughs> no, she said, mean, I we're like off topic already. <laughs> I, I literally, for my birth, I think it was for my birthday one year. I get, she sends me this book. It's called How Not to Be a Dick. <laughs> That's a great birthday present. I high five you for that one. Thanks. <laughs> she also bought me another book about parenting and having, you know, being dead inside and how to survive that. Um, I pick I, really good self-help books for you, okay? I, you know, we're, we're here to talk about actually improving self-esteem and, and actually helping people, not, not how to be a dick or not how to be a dick. <laughs> so, Sorry, Emily. We we, oh, we actually talked good. like we talked for like fifteen minutes before we hit record on a completely unrelated topic to the show, and uh, I, I can already tell like we're we're gonna go way off topic today, but that that's all right. That's what we do here. So, all good, Emily. So, oh. You go. Go ahead, Kate. Yeah, I was gonna start for once. Go, go for it. You start. So, Emily, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what led you to write this book? Yes, that's a lot of questions, so I'll try to yeah. answer them in line. <laughs> so I'm Emily, uh, and I live in Massachusetts, and during the day, I am a pharmaceutical consultant, so in IT, on computers all day, and then once I shut that down, I am a coach, and I coach girls basketball. I like the middle school age. I think they're hilarious. Whenever I join a new program, I'm like, can I have the 13-year-old? And they always look at me like, you you want the middle school kids? I was like, yes. They say the weirdest things. And I just look at them like, you you think that's how the world works? And they're like, yeah, that, that's how it works, coach. I'm like, I love their innocence. And they're like starting to broach that sarcastic stage. When they get to high school, they're too cool for me. They just, they don't care. And I'm like, oh, you're not, you're not as fun. I like when they still kind of like you. So that's why I coach middle school girls basketball. And then as you guys have said, I also have written my book, Lady Fleets. It's my debut novel, essentially about the trials and tribulations of female athletes and the different hurdles that I had to overcome and no one taught me how to. So I'm trying to save everyone else a little pain by kind of being like, here's the mistakes I made don't make them so, so clearly i mean this has been a hot topic for a long time it's become an even hotter topic in in the last couple of years you know with with women's sports in society it's it's, it's often seen as kind of a second tier to, to men's sports which is unfortunate i i it's unacceptable i mean there's there's a lot of of nice words I can say about it, but I mean, it, it's, as a, a female athlete growing up, I'm sure, you know, especially in, in basketball where, you know, the NBA is king and the, the WNBA has only come along in the last 25-ish years. Like, what what is it like at that middle school age thinking like, you know, and what is my future in this? Like, what what do I aim for? What, what goes on, you know, in, in your head like that? It is a lot because in your brain, you're thinking, I'll play sports through high school. If that, I might end after middle school. I remember I had this moment in eighth grade of, do I want to continue basketball or do I want to do something else? And actually it took making the middle school team for me to be like, 
I want to continue this and like having that little ego boost within myself. But you see it and you feel it that where do I go from here? Because it's not televised. It's not talked about. And it's not something I could even, I mean, when I was in middle school, YouTube was just starting to pick up. So it's not like something you could go watch on YouTube or go watch elsewhere. It just wasn't known. And so you don't feel like you can can continue sports after high school and the other side of it even if as an athlete you don't know if you can be a part of sports and other facets because that's all jobs the boys do the boys are the sports casters the boys are the coaches you don't see women and so it was hard for me growing up and I think that's why I'm such an advocate of it now because women are doing it and we need to talk about it and having female coaches is huge that's the biggest part is even seeing a coach because now you see a woman in a leadership position on the team not the assistant coach not the team manager the head coach because that even shows hey you could do this maybe if you don't do it full-time you can do it part-time like i do as a volunteer when i get to have get to have fun and give my time back to kids so it took me seeing, I don't know if you watched American Idol, there was a girl, Ayla Brown, who played basketball for Boston College, and she was on American Idol. And I remember having this eureka moment of, I can do basketball after school, like after I become an adult. Like It was this moment of, wait, there's someone like me on TV who loves, all, who loves singing, though I'm tone deaf, who loves basketball, who loves all the things I do, and she's doing these cool things. I can do cool things. So representation is so important. And I didn't really have that growing up. It's just every time somebody says, oh, I was in middle school when YouTube came out, it's like, I was almost done with college. You're so old. Uh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> One time we'll get through an episode without me calling you old. <laughs> I call. I got here first. I said it today. No, it's just like you also got here first to the earth. You know, I, life. Yeah, I did. Well, of of, of present company, yes. It, it's just like I'm now questioning my mortality. I'm only 35, turning 36 this year. <laughs> Anyway. So changing the topic, yeah, anyway, now that what, issue, what that. issues did you run into as a kid to inspire you to write this book? Oh, how many things did I run into as a child? <laughs> I feel like you're about to open like my childhood trauma. <laughs> well, to start off, I ran into walls, no, chairs, <laughs> physical just, things, emotional things. There's a lot. Uh, I'm, so an I think I'm an unlicensed freelance psychiatrist, so please. His, solu his solution is alcohol. Trust me. Oh, man. Uh, probably the wrong room to have that conversation then because I don't want to fall down that path. <laughs> um, so for me, it was really overcoming relationship boundaries because once I became a coach, I thought when I was on the team, I always felt isolated or I felt like I was a part of the core group or... I'm going to talk about this one girl. We on the court, perfect match. We could play well together. We fed off each other. You got us out of the gym, out of the locker room and in the hallways in school, we couldn't stand each other. It was brutal. Uh, just total bullying situation where she had, she was in the popular crowd. I was not. And I was just this peon who got picked on, but you put us in the court and you wouldn't know. And that was a really hard thing for me to kind of deal with because I'm like why does coach keep putting us in the same drills putting us in games together I don't like her and it was gen if as I got older I took a step back as a coach 
it was genuinely because we worked well together on the court and he might have just not known about the other drama going on. So when I became a coach, I was working with girls and I noticed some similar female behavior where there's some clicks going on or just some maybe subtle like bullying happening. And it might have been my own fault because it essentially was between my starters and my second line where this started happening. My top six became these great friends and they fed off each other. And then my bottom six did not like they fed off each other. But then when you put them together, it was brutal. And I remember having to take I think an hour and a half of time being like, we're going to be nice to each other for the next hour and a half. And we're going to break down whatever's happening because I'm going to call you out on it because <laughs> I lived through that. I lived through it and it was awful. And not having an adult confront it, I think just totally changed my experience. But I think after that hour and a half, they all became friends. I noticed there was a total different demeanor across the team. So when COVID happened, this was, honestly, my book is because of COVID, which is like my silver lining to the situation. COVID happened. I couldn't coach anymore. My whole world just shut down in that aspect. I'm at home and I'm talking with a colleague after work about all the things I would love to be doing. I would love to be coaching. I'd be love to working with my players. I'm just like, you know, I love these lessons. I would teach them. And we're just having this conversation. And she's like, you have a lot to say about this. And I'm like, yeah, I do have a lot to say about this. And I think through the experience of, I didn't have a resource. I was reading Judy Bloom. I was reading these books from older generations that I just didn't resonate with me. It's on my, how to deal with life. I was like, what if I wrote a book to be like, here's how you deal with this. That's more modern and more in tune with today's world than where where are you god it's me margaret because i don't think that fits in with 2021 anymore so i remember what, those books oh man i remember when my mom handed me this book she's like i read this you'll learn a lot from it and i read it and i'm like this makes no sense to my day anymore yeah sounds like <laughs> we should just all go sit around and watch leave it to beaver for how And I just like, I'm see, and I'm not even that old. Like that show's like seven years old now. And I'm just, yeah, I need to stop. <laughs> oh man, what am I doing today? Anyway, so you, you clearly have the life experiences that you've, you've, you've put this book together. Can you talk about the, the writing process? It's like, you know, even a, a shorter book. I am obviously, I've never written a book. Kate has never written a book. What's the process like when you sit down on day one with your, your laptop or your tablet or your pen and paper, however you ended up doing it? Like, like what is that process like to write that many words in an, in an organized fashion, plus, you know, all the other steps after that? Like, it just seems very intimidating to think about. It is very daunting, but surprise. So I have in my second chapter, I talk about compartmentalization. So that's when you learn is I trained my brain. A coach taught me this because I was my sophomore year of high school. I was super distracted with different classes and all my regular activity workload. He could tell I wasn't focused in any area. And he's like, you got to learn to be a hundred percent present in what you're doing in that moment. And so I think a, that training really helped me because so I live in Massachusetts and I commute to Boston every day when I go to Boston, which is never right now. But when I would go in, I'd have an hour commute. So what I did was I essentially turned that hour commute into an hour of writing. 
And I also researched a lot before I sat down. There was a lot of how do you start a book? Where do you start? What's the process? And I kind of took different tips and tricks from other authors on how I want to approach it. And I liked the thought process of every day I'm going to write an hour. I don't care what I write. I don't care if it's going to be in the book or not. I'm just going to get words on a page. And so from there, I kind of went with the process of, which is how I wrote my college essays of, I'm just going to write a very skinny version of what I want to put in this chapter. And then as I would go through each paragraph, I would start to explode on the topics. I would be like, okay, this sentence probably should be a whole paragraph or this paragraph should probably be a couple pages. And I would just start to elaborate on different points. So after doing an hour a day for about six months, <laughs> I had a book in my hands. And so <laughs> I had a self-imposed deadline also of December 31st. So I was writing on December 31st to finish how many <laughs> words I wanted. I wanted about 30,000 words. And I was like, I'm going to hit it. That's how many words I want. And I pretty much got there by December 31st. I had an editor lined up because I'm self-published. So I don't have a publisher. I didn't go through an agent because I also feel like a lot of the time they're looking for the next hit. They're going to almost, to me, those books are great, but I feel like they almost make them cookie cutter. And this is not a cookie cutter book. This is not a book that I want to mold. And it's not going to be something that, I don't know, like a Harper Books is not going to pick up a self-help book for teens. <laughs> just, I just don't think that fits in what they're looking for to be the next bestseller. But I think it's ne this book is necessary. And I would love for it to be a bestseller. But <laughs> I understand where the publishers are coming from. So from there, I hire an editor because I also know you sometimes get really close to your own text that you're going to miss things. Like you're going to add words that in your brain and your brain's going to correct the sentence that you might not know. You're going to add commas and pauses that again, in your brain make sense. But when someone else reads it, they might stop and be like, Oh, that sentence sounds weird. So I hired an editor. She had it for about five weeks. And then I went through Amazon uh, Kindle direct publishing I liked Amazon because they are the global conglomerate they are, and they have a lot of options that can get on Kindle, which is what everyone uses. They have some deals with some other places to eventually do extended distribution. So I felt for my first book, it was the right path to go down. Plus they give you a free ISBN and I don't want to pay like 150 bucks for an ISBN. <laughs> so, back in your Amazon. <laughs> so yeah. That was the whole process. What, what's it like when you you know you spend all this time, you, you put your your, you know, your your blood, sweat, and tears in, into this manuscript, and you send it to the editor, and you know, a few weeks later they come back and it's just red ink all over it. What, what, what does that feel like? Oh man, I remember the first round of edits she gave back to me. I was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> like I guess I have to think through this. But I had an editor who. I liked her style. I I think she's great. I don't know if I'd use it. I don't know if I'd recommend her to another first time writer because she was brutal and like very short, but she'd ask me questions. Instead of just like writing it out and putting her own thoughts, she'd ask me, what are you trying to say here? And then I would answer her question and she would help me rephrase my thoughts. Because again, makes sense in my brain, might not make sense to a reader. So her and I actually had this really nice dialogue going back and forth. Uh, but 
I recommend when looking for an editor, you call them, you have consultations and make sure that they fit your style because I have had other friends use editors where they're just like, yeah, they were the cheapest price. So I signed up for them and I essentially got the red lines with no feedback. So looking for someone who kind of fits your strengths and weaknesses is what I would recommend for that. But no, it's heartbreaking because you're looking at it like, oh, Oh, I thought I thought that was a good sentence and you just decided it wasn't and I don't know why, but you explained why to me. <laughs> it's definitely helpful when it's it's constructive criticism with, with feedback versus not just take that out. That's terrible or, or something brutal like that. Yes. Yes, the gen. I appreciate the gentle approach. Some people don't, though. Some people want that like merc merciless editor who just is like, just tell, be blunt about it. I don't want you to hold my hand. So, what's the most important message from your book? Oh, I think the most important message in my book is that you can tackle any problem that comes your way as long as you think through the problem. Because I feel like I do this to this day. I get handed a problem or someone provides feedback that I just reject. I'm like, no, that's not the case. I get upset. I get worked up. But instead of approaching problems with that, we should all just take the deep breath. Think about what's going on. What are we feeling? Why are we feeling it? I always say that question. What are, why, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling it? And then what's the problem? That's the next step. So essentially, if you can be methodical about your approach and be intentional, you'll your problems are going to seem so much smaller than they actually are. So I'm going to ask a, a question related to my my personal life. I'm going to ask you some, some, some parenting advice here. Oh, cool. Lord, Lord knows I need as much of it as I can get. So I have, I have young daughters. I do not want to repeat the mistakes that previous generations have made raising their daughters once they hit those preteen, those, those critical development teenage years. There's a good chance that one or both of them will be playing sports at some point, whether they like it or not, we'll figure that out as we go. What can I do as a parent to properly support them? Give them the, the support uh, you know, they need from an athletic standpoint, from a, 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 I guess, coaching or an encouragement standpoint. Where, what can I do not to screw this up? I think the biggest thing not to screw it up is to know that you're dad and you're not the coach. I think some parents who kind of break that boundary and try to coach their, unless you are the coach and then that's a whole different dynamic to go through. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I think parents need to be encouraging of their kids. And when they say, coach said this to me and they get all upset again, like be like, okay, why did coach say this to me? And like encourage them to, work with the coach and like make sure that they're building bonds across their team and really building that support system so they can come to you when there's a problem. I think that's the first parent foundation advice is you want to be seen as the support and not as the enemy. So whenever they come to you with questions about sports to be encouraging and to be that ear to listen and to be dad and to not be critical of their skills but also if they come to you saying hey I want to work on this if you can show them and teach them I say go for it because they totally trust you but if they say hey I want help from someone else to listen to that <laughs> because I know my mom and I had some moments when I because she played basketball where she'd be like you just need to shoot like this and I'm like 
I don't understand how you're explaining it to me. <laughs> and so she actually went and got outside help. She's like, okay, you want to be a better shooter. I can't teach you. So she knew her own limitations in that parent sport relationship and actually went and got me help. And that uh, was one of my mentors all through high school was this one coach who I had, who's like, I'll teach you how to shoot. And then I learned all these life lessons by accident out of it. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. So I think just be the parent. You're not the coach, but just be, just be dad. Again, unless you are the coach. From my my youth, I was uh, probably 18 or 19 at this point. We used to play baseball in the summer at the local park. The one time we were out there, there was, we got this guy we called coach dad. We saw him a couple of times and he was like the stereotypical wrong way of, of handling how you were supposed to be like coaching your kid. And this kid was probably 10, 11 years old, baseball pitcher. And they were on a little league field and the dad is batting and just like cranking off this 10 year old <laughs> Oh, that breaks my heart. That's not, he's 10. And he's just cranking and he's yelling at him about his, his set and his, his, you know, his wind up. He's like, you tipped it off again. What is wrong with you? And he's like, you are seriously the worst parent I think I've ever seen. Did he have the white new balances? Did he? With the big wide leg 90s bleach jeans? Please tell me the answer. No, he didn't have, have down to that level. Um, but I do remember one time he cranked one onto our field and he came over there. He's like, yep, I got a hold of that one. And my, my buddy's like, yeah, cool. You hit a home run off of a 10 year old. I'm impressed. And and guy, then just imagine him with the white new balances and how we just described him. Probably, it probably was. He has the hat. All yeah, the for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like the old fisherman cap. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. basically it. So, Real quick, I, speaking of uh, children, I hear them screaming in the background. This will be fun in a little bit. But um, from a, a larger perspective of women in sports, what do you see as the, the biggest challenge today as far as, I guess, mainstreaming women's sports, getting it up to the, you know, the level of respect that it, it deserves? Oh, so I think there's, there's so many layers to that question. I think there's a societal view on women's sports. I mean, look at our national soccer team. They win championships. They go out there and kill the game all exactly. They kill it every time. And they're not funded the way the men's team is. And when when's the last time the men won? I don't even remember. Off the top. Exactly. Have they okay. won? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They haven't won. They didn't even so. qualify for the last World Cup. I mean, they, you know. But they, did they win? Yeah, no. They, they won from their couch. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you don't exactly have the hardest path into the World Cup. Like, you know, this is the United States. This, this country prioritizes money into sports like no other country. Exactly. And you can't find 15 to 18 men to compete with, like, Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, that's, you know, no offense to those countries, but they don't have millions and millions and billions of dollars being pumped into their programs. Like, exactly it's embarrassing and then you have the women come out it's like hey look the women want to get in this kind of like but yeah shouldn't be like this is a big deal like this this is a big deal and it's just not treated as one for the reason you said yeah and so i think that's a societal view and then also as i said we don't talk about it it's not like the super bowl is almost like an international holiday at this point 
the American men's football big game. Everyone talks about it. Everyone knows about it. And it's just because of the way our country's run. It is a capitalist country. So our dollars talk. And so I think through the, and I think this is the blessing of social media is right now people are talking about women's sports. People are getting their voices out there. They are bringing up the conversation. So now I don't know if you saw the together uh, new media outlet created by four. Uh, I know super is one of them. I can't remember the other thought my head. Now I feel like a failure in all of this. <laughs> yeah. So there's four women who are now starting a whole new media company. So this is great. These women who've had the opportunity to play, and get some funding behind a media company for women in sports. This is the kind of conversations we need to have. And it almost reminds me, so as I said, I'm a pharmaceutical consultant during the day. I benefited from the women in STEM movement 15 years ago when that conversation started and really started to snowball. Because when I was in fifth, sixth grade, we had Girls in Science Day, where we would go to Worcester Polytechnic Institute and have this whole day and learn about all the jobs you can do in science. My degrees in math, I would not have probably gotten a degree in math if I didn't have these programs and this dialogue and this support by these big companies to really push this. So I think we're finally getting there where we recognize dollars talk. Let's start putting some money into this. Let's start backing it up. And I think we're kind of on that snowball. We're talking about it. Now people are starting to buy into it. And I, I believe it's going to get there from that streaming perspective. I mean, Twitch is doing tons of stuff with yeah. women in sports. The NWSL. Now, exactly. So we're just, I think it's just going to start snowballing and really turn into this giant movement. And I'm excited to be on like the brink of that. But where I sit, I sit in that middle school age group and there's still a giant gap between girls and boys. Girls are six times more likely to drop out of sports than boys in that like 13 to 16 range. And that's depressing. <laughs> Why are girls dropping out? And it's because they're not motivated to continue. They don't have that belief. So what I'm trying to do is really make sure, because if we can keep those girls in sports, then we'll have more players to pick when we get to that professional stage. When we start highlighting it, there'll be more girls in it and more girls believing in themselves. Because without the players, without girls knowing that they can go do this, we're not going to have the teams to keep this movement and this momentum going. Good I have to say, um, <laughs> sorry, DJ, I'm going to talk today. So when I was in college, I went to a majority guy school. Okay. I remember being a freshman and someone walked up to me and was like, Hey, do you play softball? I'm like, no. And they're like, do you want to, we have a spot on our team. And I'm like, no, but that's how little people played sports or women played sports at my college. Oh, wow. That's, I had the opposite experience. Um, I wanted to be a sports statistician. And there was a boy who also wanted to be a sports statistician. And I was essentially told I couldn't do that. And I was like, my brain was all, didn't think about it till I was a little older. Like, why did he say that? Oh, it was because I'm a girl. That's why I can't do it. And he could do it. So I had the opposite. <laughs> moment no it's 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 unbelievable i mean really well i guess it is believable but i mean it, it's good that like you know we're, we're finally seeing that that initial momentum and i and you know as you mentioned twitch i think these these streaming platforms and opening up 
you know, finding time when it was, oh, we have five, 10 cable channels. Now it's like, oh, I can pull out my phone. I can watch on YouTube. I can watch on Twitch for free. It's like, yes. it's, it's going to be a big help in, in driving viewership and, and interest and, and ultimately demand. Yeah, and, and the other aspect of it is change doesn't happen overnight. And I am a firm believer and we can't look at we can look at the past to make changes for the future, but we shouldn't look at the past and complain that it didn't happen back then. We shouldn't look at the past and be like, why was it this way? Well, we should understand why it was, but we shouldn't get upset and wrapped up in that and get angry about it. We should be like, okay, this is what happened in the past. This is why it happened. What can we do today to make it better for tomorrow? That's how I kind of view life. It keeps me happier that way because I used to be the opposite where I just get angry about things that happened to me. Again, that whole childhood trauma thing I was talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, you when you get stuck in that, I think that mentality of I need to fix the past, you can't but we have to know about the past to make it better for the future. Yeah, that's, that's a great mindset. I mean, I, it took me about 10 years when I was a senior in high school, I put a penalty kick over the goal during the playoff game. <laughs> you hit that's the dinosaur? That's, what? Did, did you, were you upset about that for 10 years? I was upset about, I mean, not like 10 straight years, but every time I'd like, I'd think about playing soccer and play, you know, I'd, play rec ball and I'm like man I still can't believe I put the ball over the, the over the crossbar there like it's one of those things where you know never miss never miss never miss over the crossbar <laughs> yeah it was just but, uh, yeah but, but yeah it's like you, you can't change your past you can only learn from it yes actually it's funny because I had a moment like that um my first year on varsity or technically sick I did like a I was called up sophomore year so I'm a junior on varsity it's supposed to be like my year we watched the tapes of a game and I and two other girls turned our backs on defense to two open players behind us. And I still think about that, but, but I get cringe, but then I cringe only in moments when I see my players doing the same thing. I'm like, I have to stop this. We can't keep doing this because my coach literally paused it and he's like, do you guys, do you guys see what you did there? And I'm like, my face went beat red. I was like, this is so embarrassing. I hate tape. I don't want to watch tape. <laughs> exactly but no i get it we all have moments in our lives where we look back and like are like Ugh. yeah that's me after every podcast episode <laughs> you don't listen how do you know <laughs> good point <laughs> you've never listened to an episode of, of the show in the final format well yeah because i cringe because i don't like what i sound like i mean for all i know i'm editing your voice and making it an octave higher in the show if you are, I'm going to fly out there and beat you up. <laughs> I'll text your wife. I'll let her, I'll ask her if I could stay in your don't, office. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We don't want to get hurt. <laughs> so on that note, it's threatening violence. Um, what, what, you know, it's just amazing. Like we go through these shows and just. We have an agenda. We haven't planned out in my head how this is going to go, and it goes completely the other direction. And you know what? That's I think what makes this fun. So, the book is Lady Fleets. Again, where can we find it? Where can we buy it? You can get it on Amazon.com. They have paperback and Kindle uh, formats. And if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited, it is free to you, which is great. I love that option because I am also a Kindle Unlimited person, so I benefit from that myself. <laughs> Um, yes, so, you got some reading material. 
Yes. So that is where you can get the book. I also have a website, um, emilytheauthor.com. I have it linked there as well as all my podcast interviews. So you get to hear me talk all the time. Um, <laughs> so if you want to listen to all that, you can there. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at, at Coach Emily Williams. All right. And I don't have a Kindle because I... <laughs> I... I have both. I still, I'll, I'll read the Kindle version and then buy the book just to have it so I can reference it later. Well, my wife gets so mad at me, like in our bedroom right now, I have a stack of about eight books on the nights. She's like, are you yeah. going to read those? I'm like, well, I've already read five of these. Like, Get them out of here. So just a quick question on the topic of books. What happened to the 80 pounds of books that I mailed you? They're in the garage. Cause I don't know where to put them. <laughs> 80 pounds of books? Yes, her father... Yeah. Mail was about to throw away a book collection that she thought, uh, thought I'd be interested in. And instead of throwing them away, he put them in two boxes and the shipping for the two boxes was uh, considerably expensive. And it, the two boxes combined weighed about 80 pounds. And they're all paperback books in there, which I may, may be able to dent that in my lifetime, but I'm not entirely sure I'm going to get through that. I believe in you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That would be the first time. <laughs> oh, anyway, on that note, again, Emily, thank you for being on this uh, wacky, insane, crazy FM morning radio show, because that's kind of what I felt like. I have to ask before we go off the air here, is this the, the craziest interview you've been on yet? It's... Uh, yes. I'll yeah! be honest. Yes, you guys. I think we've had so many different conversations within the conversation. That that's how it officially wins. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the craziest. You know, it's, it's funny how like from week to week, the dynamic of this show can just completely change. You know, just we could have a completely serious interview with, with people and there are. And then we have interviews that turn into just like, again, the, the wacky FM morning DJ you know, all we needed was the sound effects board, which I could have pulled up, but I forgot today. That would have been fun. Throw some High School Musical in there. I'm too old. I mean, oh. <laughs> I was just thinking of like, gotta get your head in the game. That's where my <laughs> I know it exists, but I don't know much more than that. I know they made uh, to it. Yeah, some good stuff. Yeah, Your so daughters will probably watch it at probably. some point. Probably. We've moved into the Frozen territory, so... I, You'll be stuck there for a while. I feel like every friend of mine who has kids, they get to Frozen and they're, like, stuck. That's what I'm afraid of. So. I'm on sorry. That note, no, on that note, Emily, thanks again for stopping by the show. And Thank you. Be sure to check us out at stadiumscene.tv, at stadiumscene on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok, and at stadium underscore scene on Instagram, and we'll see you next week.